I'd like you to take your Bible, and we're going to return to the Gospel of John. And we began an expository, kind of verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and it's been suspended a bit as we worked through the spring and we prepared ourselves for life action. And then during the summer, we took a series of just seeking God together, hitting on some fresh truths there about maintaining a revived life with Him. But now that we're in the full swing of fall, I'd like us to return back to this series in the Gospel of John, and we'll take a few moments to catch up to where we last were. It's been a real busy week in the life of our church, and I just want to say thank you, church family, for all the prayers that you've offered up on behalf of your church family. Uh, You're aware of little Doug Beal's surgery that took place um, down there in Texas, an eight-year-old boy that doctors didn't give him a lot of hope of making it through that surgery, but he has come through the surgery, and he's been on the other side of it now for a few days, and all the signs are very positive. So we want to thank God for that. Praise the Lord for that. And then another member within our church that you've been praying for is Mel Zimmerman. And as Mel is right here, and he went in this week and at one time heard about this tumor in his brain that they said was cancerous. And after further review, it is not cancerous. And so we're rejoicing in that too. So it's, it's one of the blessings, I think, of being in a family is being able to, at times, agonize in prayer for one another. And we, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think it'd be appropriate just to spend some time right now just offering prayers of gratitude to God uh, before we get into our message. Father, thank you for this gift of prayer that we have. And I know that we're not alone here and thinking of the Zimmermans and the Beals, we have been praying for them and others. And it's just so magnificent to see this answer to prayer when it, when it goes according to the ways we were praying. So we want to just pause and give you tribute and gratitude and say thank you for, for doing this great work in their lives. And we also know that they need continual prayers for little Doug that... These are still very critical days for him, and so we want to pray for his, his heart to respond, for wisdom, for the doctors to, to make wise decisions here in the next couple of days. We pray for your grace and strength to be with mom and dad, Doug and Cami, and we want to also pray for Mel that as, as this next appointment comes and with his wife, Jean, beside him, that you would just allow the news just to continue to be good and positive and that he would be able to live out every purpose that you have for his life. Lord, it is encouraging for us. And, and may these answers only drive us to further confidence in you in prayer. So may we be bold to continue to ask of you and be grateful for the blessings and your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I also want to say thank you, Ramon, for putting that wonderful video together, recapping the summer, looking forward to the fall. 
And let me just add word to small groups that there in your bulletin, if you have not already signed up, many of you have, and I'm thankful for that, but this is the day that you can sign up and tear that off, put it in an offering box, and I'm hoping that even this afternoon and evening we'll begin to compile these small groups and get word out to you of of what that small group will look like to you. And and just know that it may not be just seamless and neat and clean this doing this, but we're going to do our very best to pray through that. Well, the last time we were in the Gospel of John was Palm Sunday. And so if you look at John chapter 12, I want to just spend a few minutes reading a few verses to kind of refresh your memory where we were. Now we're just going to land in a few other verses. Right there in chapter 12, verse 12, it says there, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he raised or called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So the scene here is Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming in the Sunday before his death on the cross. And there is this great crowd that have come to see him based on the signs, the miraculous signs he's done, including raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and the Pharisees, the opponents of Jesus, in their frustration, says, look, the whole world is coming after him. The writer John then includes some more specifics about that in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And if you remember the beginning of Jesus' story, In the Gospel of Matthew, that there were wise men that came from the east. And now at the end of Jesus' life, there are wise men that are coming from the west to seek and learn of who this Jesus is. Verse 21 says, So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, why is it that these Greeks from out of town would go to Philip and Andrew? We don't know. They both had Greek names. Likely, they both spoke the language. But what they wanted to do was see Jesus. They had heard about him. Perhaps they had heard of miracles. Maybe they've seen him from a distance But I want to conclude that they wanted to to know what it was like to be a follower of Jesus. And so they go to Jesus, that is, Philip and Andrew, and they say to him, hey, these Greeks want to see you. And we're not exactly sure if that 
if that conversation ever took place in person. But this is Jesus' response in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very likely in that crowd when Jesus said these words, there was excitement and anticipation. Finally, the moment they had been waiting for. They saw Jesus as a political king, a liberator that would get the Roman army off their back. Now he's going to be glorified. But then they might have been surprised by the next three verses. And these next three verses will be the basis of our message today. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Just a a quick word of prayer, please. Father, again, we, we look at this passage and we see the road that Jesus walked, the road to Calvary. And we also see an invitation to follow him on that road. Not so that our sins would be forgiven, But because our sins are forgiven, because of the destination of that road for Jesus there on the cross, there was an invitation to seek his glory. And we see that here in these three verses. And so I pray that you would challenge us individually today. You would challenge our church today to be able to live out this Calvary road, this calling of this Calvary road for us each. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think if you would examine and just think through, if there's anything in life worth really living for, then it's going to demand some sacrifice, some discipline, as it's been said, some blood, sweat, and tears. Like many of you, our family finds its uh, origins there on on a dairy farm for us in the southern part of the state. And I think of my grandpa, Olson, who worked tirelessly there on the farm. It doesn't seem like he ever took a day off, was always in the fields or always in the barn or always fixing something or maintaining something. He took great pride in having the best corn in the valley. And I got to observe that. And as a family, I got to celebrate when my grandpa got a new tractor or celebrate when there was a new pole barn erected. And that farm became more than just a place where he would raise a family and work, but it really became a symbol to this day to our family of one person's hard work and sacrifice. I think back to my first job in high school in a small town in northwest Wisconsin. It was Super Value Grocery Store. And it was named after one of the local families, and everyone knew it by that name. And uh, at that time, some adult children had, had, been, had received that business and wanting to preserve their father's name. They, too, worked really hard and made great sacrifices in order for that small business to continue on. 
Think with me, any sort of hobby or any sort of skill, whether in academia or even learning how to play the piano, is going to take a lot of sacrifice, a lot of discipline in order to actually achieve that pursuit. The same can be said in our relationship with Jesus. As we look at this passage today, I want us to gaze at three different things. The first thing that we look at in this passage is a look at a grain of wheat. Look here again at verse 24. Jesus, in response to saying that the Son of Man will be glorified, offers this metaphor. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He provides this picture, and this picture is going to undergird what it means for Jesus to be glorified. So he looks at a a grain of wheat, and that small grain has been planted by the farmer into cold, dark dirt. It's as if the farmer says to that small grain, this is my plan for you. The grain dies and yields to the farmer. The grain takes the shape that the farmer desires. Its purpose is to be planted and to bear fruit. Grain serves as a resurrection seed. It dies so that other seeds may live. I think you see that in that picture. And having died... The seed does bear much fruit because when it grows, it provides more seeds that can multiply the harvest. Now, this metaphor has a broad application. Jesus is using this picture of the grain to express what it looks like for him to be glorified. We've had a look at the grain of wheat. Now let us consider a look at Jesus. The setting here of our passage is Palm Sunday. It's less than a week from the day in which Jesus himself will give his life for the sins of all the world. Jesus is about ready to to just take on this Calvary road to his death. He too has been planted not by the farmer, but by the Father, in this world to die. And as the grain of wheat falls into the earth, Jesus voluntarily took on humility for us. You remember what Philippians chapter 2 says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Jesus, like that seed, dies, remains in the tomb for three days so that the sins of these Greeks, the Jews, even the Pharisees, and everyone in this room and everyone in the world may be forgiven. His death made it possible for all to experience eternal life. 
and his resurrection will bear much fruit. We see the fulfillment of this some 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. Let's walk through that for a moment. Jesus is raised to life, and according to Acts chapter 1, some 40 days after that, he ascends into heaven. About 50 days after his resurrection, there is something called the Pentecost. This is a festival that celebrated God's provision in this grain, this wheat harvest there in Jerusalem. So people from all over would come to Jerusalem. Now the disciples were instructed to wait there in Jerusalem as Jesus ascended. They were supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and to fall to fill them. And that's exactly what happened. On that 50th day or so, the Holy Spirit fell and one of Jesus' followers named Peter got up and preached to these scores of people. And he preached of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the seed that had fallen and had died would now bring a harvest, as it says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So there is the fulfillment of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that thousands of people there at this grain harvest festival would now become followers of God because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And today, this same message exists for us to proclaim. And we proclaim it with full knowledge that to the world it is still foolishness. They would say, I can completely understand how one would go to heaven if they achieved and were able to, by good works, get themselves with more good works than bad works. But that is not the way to relationship with God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, For the world, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm reminded of a story that I heard this week of a, of a remote island that at one time was so vicious that whenever there were visitors that would come, they were cannibals, they would kill them and they would eat them. And one day, the Lord had raised up some missionaries that with courage went to that island and began to preach the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, or the gospel, the good news. And there were people that were listening to it. And this island was transformed, and so was the ethic and the way that they lived and treated guests. Now, many generations had passed, and this professor, an agnostic professor, said, I'd like to go and investigate the people and the culture of this island. And so he goes to the island and he studies them. And he's quite impressed by all the advances that they have made in their culture. But he can't help but notice that they are still adhering to this Christian faith. One day, the chief in the village invited this professor for supper. And the chief asked him what were his impressions of the island and and the the village. And the professor says, I have to tell you, I'm really impressed. When I look around and I see all the advancements you've made in your culture, it really is remarkable. But if I'm honest... (laughs) 
I'm quite disappointed that you still hold to this archaic Christian faith. You see, us in the West that have studied this, we have long past moved on from this Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and being raised from the dead. It's old. I'm a little disappointed that you still adhere to this. The chief listened very respectfully and at his time, he says, well, I'd like to respond to that. And he pointed to a rock. And he says, Professor, you see that rock? He said, yes. And said, our forefathers, many, many years ago, whenever we would have guests to our islands, would, well, they would crush the skull of those guests right there on that rock. And he pointed to another area. And you say, you see that direction over there where there's some more rocks? He said, yes, that served as an oven. And whenever we would have guests and and visitors, they would have their skull crushed over here, and then we would cook and eat them right there at that oven. And so, Professor, for you, you might be asking yourselves, why is it that we still believe in this Jesus, that he was died and buried and raised to life for us? I'll tell you, he has made all the difference in our lives. He has transformed our island. And professor, if it weren't for Jesus, you would not have been just invited here and served supper. Rather, you would have been our supper tonight. He is making all the difference in our lives. So there is a look at the grain. There is a look at Jesus. Now I want you to look, finally, and look at the road that Jesus calls us to. Now, I want to pause for a moment. I want to just bring you some doctrine today. I want to do this. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page because there's some words that I think as a church we really need to settle. And one of those words is justification. What does that mean? When we think of Jesus dying on the cross for our place, being in a tomb for three days and being raised to life, why did he do that? Well, the answer to that is, is because of our sins. Out of God's love for us, instead of us answering for our own sins, God sent Jesus to die in our place. So when I use the word justification, what I mean by that is we are saved from the justice of God when we place our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. This justification is a one time event that takes place in our life. In fact, Christians here today, if you were to take a blank sheet of paper and a pencil, and you were to draw out a line of the timeline of your life, and you were to mark significant events in your life, you would actually mark two different places where you were born. One of those places where you would be physically born And that is the day that you remember with birthday cake and gifts. But there would be a second place in the timeline of your life where you were spiritually born. We might use the word where you were justified, where you were saved from your sins. I'm grateful for that video this morning because I think Pearl would be able to draw out a timeline of her life and say, I can tell you when I was born... But I can also tell you when I was spiritually born and when it took place, the summer of 2022 at Northland Bible Camp up north. Now, in this room today, if you are a Christian, 
there would be two different marks on the timeline of your life. Some of us on that second time, that second birthmark could go to that specific day. How many of you could do that? Day, month, and year. Many. But others of us might say, I can't give you the specific day on the calendar, but I know there was certainly a season in my life where he was, God was drawing me, he was convicting me of my sin, and some, some time range, and here or there, God saved me because I see the evidence of that in my life. How many of you would say that that's more like you, okay? So that's what we see. Here at Highland Crest, what we love to do is we love to hear those stories, in fact, I think Roman said that we will follow up with guests that come. And a lot of times when I follow up with a guest and, and say, thank you for joining us, if the time allows, I, if they profess to be a Christian, I love to say, could you tell me the story of how you became a Christian? Can you tell me when you were born again? And I don't mean that to drill them, but I just love to hear of God's saving work. And what I'm, what I'm looking for is that second mark on the timeline of their life. Are they able to share that? You know, your testimony can be very valuable. Just on, I think it was Thursday morning, I was fishing the salmon run. And as I was fishing, there was another man that was beside me and we were talking. It was one that I've fished with in the past. He's not a local guy. He lives in the middle of the state. We were connecting and catching up with one another. And he shared with me that there was a death in his family. And as he was sharing that with me, it occurred to me that the Lord was going to have me fish that day, not just for salmon, but for this man's soul. And I couldn't help but think, and I thought, I believe the Lord would have me to ask him questions about death. I said, sir, have you, have you given thought to where a person would go when they die? And he says, I, I actually have. And I said, would you, would you mind if I just took a few minutes And I just shared with you what the Bible has to say about that. And he said, you know, honestly, I just like to fish right now. (laughs) And you know what? That sometimes happens, doesn't it? And I said, okay, well, then let me share with you my story. And I just shared with him my story of how God had worked in my life as a young young man. Now, there was a little awkwardness. I'm not going to lie to you there, but it wasn't, it wasn't long after, and that awkwardness had lifted, and I was still able to share a story. So when you think about justification, we want to share that story. We want to hear that story here at our church. We like to hear that when someone says, I want to be baptized. Well, can we hear the story of how you became a Christian? And we want to hear that you understand the gospel. When someone expresses a desire to be a member of our church, well, could you please share with us that story of how you became a Christian? Is there evidence that you are now walking with the Lord? Well, this justification is a one-time event, but then that leads to something called sanctification that is a a continual process. That Jesus' death and resurrection also enables us to live out our Christian lives. Once we are justified, we do not distance ourselves from Jesus' death and resurrection. We apply the benefits to our lives. 
It could be that there were people in the crowd that day or people in our midst even today that as they hear the story of Jesus going to the cross, they can say to themselves, man, I am so glad that Jesus sacrificed. He gave up his comforts on my behalf. I'm so grateful that I don't have anything to do with the cross. And on one hand, that's true. He did go to the cross to give you eternal life. I would remind you what he said in Luke 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what does it look like to go down this glory road? What does it look like for followers now to apply this metaphor to our sanctified Christian life? I'm going to give you four things that I think Jesus spoke about. The first is death. Let's look again here at chapter 12, verse 24. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Not only is he speaking physically about a grain of wheat going into the earth and dying, not only is he speaking about himself, Jesus going into the earth, the tomb, and dying, but he is inviting followers of him to give up their lives as well. And clearly the New Testament teaches that we are joined with Jesus in his death. Romans 6 verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. In Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Before we were justified, sin was the master of our lives. But now that we are saved, God is the master of our lives. We no longer live for ourselves, we live for God. And listen, there's nothing fancy or special about a a grain of wheat. And there's nothing fancy or special about us. And in the same way the farmer plants that grain into the cold, dark earth, you know what? God plants us as well, doesn't he? He plants us in the body that he has given to us. He plants us in the family that he has given to us. He plants us in the geographic location that he has put us. He plants us in the same church that he would have us to go, the school, the workplace, and even the hardships that we find ourselves into today, the hard life. This is what it means to walk on that glory, that cavalry road that we embrace The sovereign hand of God, and as the farmer says, or the seed says to the farmer, I will do what you ask me to do, we say to our Father, yes, we submit to you. Second thing that this sovereign, this cavalry road, this road to glory leads us to is a hatred of the worldly life. Look what it says in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, Jesus here is not calling his followers to hating life. He doesn't want us to be miserable. 
He is calling us to hate the worldliness that so often comes out of our life. He is calling us to reject the comforts and the pursuit of pleasures in this world. We are to hate the worldly life. A life that prioritizes pleasure in sin more than pleasure in God. It was Warren Wearsby who said, God has not called us to the comfortable life, but to the conformable life. He has called us to a life in which we are to be more like Christ. Leon Morris said, The man who prioritized priorities are right has such an attitude of love for the things of God that it makes all interest in the affairs of this life appear by comparison as hatred. This is a life of sacrifice, discipline, living for the world to come. There's thirdly, this call to being a servant. As it says there in verse 26, if anyone serves me, this Calvary road, this road to glory is one in which it's not about us serving ourselves, but prioritizing Jesus and each day reporting to him for duty. Jesus is with us every step of the way. Then we also see in verse 26 that we are called to follow Jesus. As it says there in verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. So we, we pick up this life of reading of Jesus and by his Holy Spirit, follow the ways of Jesus. And as he leads, I'll follow. You know, when we go to Senegal, on Neomoon Island there, and we share the same gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, something that we often see is within that culture, there is something called an animistic religion. And that is, it's not unusual to see altars there on the island. It's not unusual to see little charms or, or actually little idols of gods. And when the gospel is shared with the average person on Neomoon Island, they are quick to respond. What, I could have my sins forgiven and I could be made right with God? Why wouldn't I be able to do that or want to do that? And oftentimes, the local Christians that are with us will say, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, then what you need to do is you need to abandon all of your other gods. You can't sacrifice anymore to these spirits. You've got to get rid of the idols that are in your cupboard or, or the ones that the chief is holding there in the village. You have to abandon. You have to give God the exclusive rights to your life. You know, syncretism is not only on Neomoon Island in Senegal, is it? It's at Highland Crest. It's in Green Bay. It's in our lives as well. And it might not be these tangible little idols, but there are all sorts of idolatry that we fight against. The praise of man, comforts, pleasures, wanting people to listen and obey what we have to say. The direction and, and, and choosing my own path for my life. 
To be a follower of Jesus is to say, I give you the exclusive control of my life. Now, when we do this, this passage tells us that there are rewards that come with that. So let me just conclude by giving you these four different rewards that Jesus highlights in this passage. The first is a fruitful harvest. I want to read again verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Loved ones this morning, I wonder what would be the fruit that you desire in your life? I thought about that this week, and this is what I would say. I would say I'd love to have a marriage that fulfills the potential that God would have for Melody and I. I would love to be able to love my wife with a pure love, the same way in which Jesus loved the church. I would love to see the harvest of our sons, each of them passionately pursue Jesus. And one day, marry well by marrying young ladies that they too would passionately pursue Jesus and would raise their children to passionately pursue Jesus. I would love for Highland Crest to see young people, old people that would be called into the ministry whether that's missions or the church or or some other ministry that God is calling you to. I would love to see this message being proclaimed faithfully for, for hundreds of years from this very spot. And as a result, freedom be experienced from addictions of alcohol or drugs or pornography or gambling or overeating, that there would be the power of the gospel that would go forward. I think a part of the harvest would also be churches multiplying, not only in Africa, but locally as well. I think this is a part of the harvest that the Lord would have for us. And what's the road to that? Well, did you see what it says? Death to self, death to our own comforts, hatred of this worldly life, taking up and being a servant and being a true follower of Jesus. Here's a a second benefit that we see that comes from this glory road. It's eternal life. Look at it says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I want to apply this metaphor because I think Jesus would apply it in another way. Last Sunday afternoon, in the middle of the afternoon, one of the godly women of our church went into eternity, Florence Gladowski. And on Friday afternoon, just a few days ago, over my shoulder at Lindell Funeral Home was a funeral service. At about 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon, they took Florence's remains, they went up to Fort Howard Cemetery, they're off a military, and they placed her body in the ground right next to her husband Larry's. Keep this metaphor in mind of the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. And then it be raised and bring a harvest. You see, Jesus not only died, 
Not only was buried, but he rose to life, and he serves as the first fruits or the prototype. And because Jesus was raised to life, that when we put a body in the ground, we have the assurance of knowing that followers of Christ, they too will be raised to life. And that we have this assurance of knowing that maybe Miss Florence's body is there at Fort Howard Cemetery, but her soul is with Christ. And there is this eternal life that comes from this great truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And here's a third reward that comes from this glory road, this walking this road of following Jesus on the Calvary. It is God's presence. You see it there in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. I'm seeing this as a father. That when my children have to go through an experience that's very scary to them, if their dad is beside them, if their dad is leading the way, it can make all the difference in the world. Well, when the Lord is leading us down this glory road, this path of following Christ, we have the assurance that He is with us. We have the favor, the blessings. And when he is calling us to forsake the comfort in order to embrace the hard things, he is with us. And then finally, we have this honor. It says there in verse 26, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What I want, to he- what I want you to hear this morning is this is a great deal for Christians we might think, wow, he is calling us to a hard life. But it's only a momentary affliction, isn't it? The eternal blessings that await those followers of Christ will not compare to the momentary afflictions that we experience. How wonderful it will be to have him declare, well done and good and faithful servant. Jesus said, Everyone who left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Loved ones, this is the life that he has called us to. So where would you find yourself in this spectrum today? One would you identify as the Greeks, the seekers? Well, we are really glad that you're here. I want to learn more about this Jesus. What Jesus says, you want to learn more about me? Well, then this is what I'm all about. I've come to die for your sins, to be raised from the life, and then you are saved, you are justified. Now you live out your sanctification by following me. Would you say you find yourself this morning having been justified? And if so, praise the Lord for that. And how are you living this out? Are you walking this Calvary road? Perhaps the Lord has exposed some things for you today that you identify with some compromises. You've you've allowed Jesus to be just a God in your life, but you're not truly serving Him. Perhaps you find yourself, by the grace of God, walking through the hardships that He has provided for you as He's planted in your life right now. And you're becoming more and more conformed to the image 
of Jesus. Could we just all say today, Lord, may we see you. May we experience the blessings of your death, burial, and resurrection. And then may you give us the grace, may we receive your spirit to live out the days that you have for us. Would you pray with me as our music team comes at this time? Father, today we've, we've just looked at a few different verses. I think it's been kept simple that here is a picture of a grain of wheat planted into a ground, submitting to the cause that the farmer has for it, allowing there to be a, a death and then a life and then bearing much fruit. And in that metaphor, we see the ministry of Jesus, of which many in this room are a part of that fruit, and now an invitation to follow that life ourselves, not only individually, but as a church. May we, may we walk this road, arm in arm, praying with one another, encouraging one another, dependent on your grace. And may we see a great harvest, a harvest for you. May it be said, well done and good and faithful servants. And that we would take the crown and we would just place it at the feet of Jesus. There are hardships here. There's suffering going on here. There are things that are difficult in our lives. May we see we're not alone. But you're doing this work in our life. You are conforming us. Strengthen us today. We pray for you to encourage us today in this. In Jesus' name, amen.